All right, Romans chapter six. Get your Bibles out. I'm not gonna have you stand. You can go ahead and get your journal situated. We've got a whole chapter to walk through, and so we're just gonna walk through it and roll through it. So let me set it up this way. How many of you have ever had a habit that you couldn't break? Raise your hand. All right. All right. If I mention your habit, then give me a shout out here. How many of you have trouble looking at your phone repeatedly or scrolling on social media? Yeah, all right, I'm guilty too, yeah. How many of you are snoozers? You hit that alarm snooze button. No, 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 I got that one. First time, every time, I'm up, I can't do that. How many of you bite your nails? Come on now, there's a thing called fingernail clippers, I'm just saying, just kidding. How many of you are chapstick addicts? No? Not me, but okay. How many of you are always late? Yeah, you grew up in a family that's always late. You're always late. Hey, you know what's gonna happen to you? You're gonna marry somebody that's always early. That's the way it works, I'm just saying. And then that's gonna be your constant fight until you realize that always early is better. I'm just saying. How many of you procrastinate? Which means you're gonna be really busy in about two weeks. How many of you are addicted to online shopping? <laughs> okay, not during chapel, that's all I'm asking, all right? I'm not even sure I know exactly what this means, but I, I put this out on social media so y'all saw, some of you saw it. How many of you are addicted to OCD tendencies? I don't know, I, yeah, okay. How many of you are addicted to chewing ice? Yeah, I'm with you there. Okay, so these are, how many of you are addicted to Smarties? Well, that's me. Um, I've got some in my bag right now. Um, these, are, these are more trivial things, right? I mean, some of them aren't, but some of them are more trivial things that we have trouble with because we are people that we have a really hard time overcoming issues. There are more serious issues we have a really hard time overcoming too. There are sin issues and temptations that just really appeal to us. And we really have a difficult time getting over those sin issues. And fortunately for all of us, these next two chapters give us hope. These next two chapters, and then three, if you go into chapter eight, where it talks about life and spirit, these chapters are gonna be life-giving to us. Because the first thing I want you to notice about going through chapter six and chapter seven is you're not the only one with this struggle. So if you're in the room right now, and maybe you have a more serious struggle, I put this out on social media and we had some comment that they were addicted to alcohol, that they were addicted to drugs, things that can ruin your life completely. They were addicted to pornography. They were addicted to other things like self-doubt or worrying or tobacco or eating sugar all the time or allowing food to be the thing that comforts you. And so you turn into gluttony or you turn to that as your, as your God or power or being in control. Okay, right there, that's me, all right? I like to be in control. I, I like to have everything and I like to have backup plans for my backup plans. I like to know exactly what's gonna happen. But I like to know it so much though that it affects my trust in God to be in control of all things and for me just to sit back and follow him and trust him. It's like, no, 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 I wanna do it. Anybody, anybody have those type issues? Those become spiritual issues. 
And it's like, okay, in spiritual maturity, I should grow out of those issues. Some of you may be anger. It may be gossiping. It, it may be other things that you can relate to that you say, I just can't get past this issue. I can't overcome this issue. Chapter six builds off of chapter five, as they all do, flowing forward. But chapter six, our main idea of the text here is that we are no longer slaves to sin. That's what I want you to write down. We are no longer slaves to sin. Because what Paul's gonna do here in chapter six, what we're gonna see is he gives us a whole bunch of indicatives. So English time indicatives, he tells us the knowledge that we need, he tells us what's happening, and then he gives us imperatives. Imperatives are commands. So he's gonna explain the situation to us. And after he explains the situation to us, he's gonna give us a couple of commands. And these commands then are gonna be what we should take home and say, this is what I need to do. But those commands are gonna be present tense and they're gonna be active, meaning that we should do this every single day because, I'm sorry to tell you, the struggle doesn't get behind you. Maybe it gets easier. Maybe you get a little more distance between the things you really struggle with and what's there. But temptation, we're not gonna be perfect. There will always be temptation to do something that's ungodly and something that's wrong in this Christian life. But because we are Christians, we are no longer slaves to sin. Here's our outline. We're gonna look in verses one through 14 at freedom from slavery to sin because what Paul's gonna argue, we probably don't like because he's gonna argue that before you were a Christian, you were in slavery to sin and you can't do anything about it. So even if you're in the room right now and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what Paul is telling you is that you are a slave to sin. You are a slave to your desires. You cannot overcome those desires and that you are in slavery to it. Actually, the freeing thing is to be in Christ because in Christ, then by the power of the Spirit, you can actually resist the temptation that comes to you. Now, we think about it the opposite way sometimes because the devil flips this and we think, oh, God has all these rules. If I become a Christian, I'm not gonna be able to do things. But in essence, when you're not a Christian, you're not able to resist the things that actually pull and tempt and attract you. It's becoming a Christian that gives you the freedom then to live in Christ and to be able to resist the temptations that have once ruled over you. So he's gonna tell us we have freedom from slavery to sin. We have to understand our unity with Christ. We have to understand our death to sin. And then he's gonna tell us that there is freedom and service to God. Now service, that word in the text is slavery. Slavery, service, the word in the Greek is doulos. Doulos is also the word we use for deacon. It's used for service, it's used for slavery. I've chosen to use freedom and service to God as our outline for this. We've got to understand our situation. We've got to understand the call to righteousness. I'm going to have some flash forward moments in this text as well, and we understand the results. So we start off here with point number one, and we're going to look at verses one through 14, and we're going to roll through this. So are you ready to go? So point number one, freedom from slavery to sin. Let's read through this. As we read through this, I'm going to walk through it. All right, so I'm going to apologize to y'all because I don't know whether I thought it was Christmas time and I needed red and green or I don't know what it was, but I use colored pencils and pens and highlight my Bible in them. And I thought, oh, you know what? This is helpful. And so then I just put it on the screen and it looks like I don't know how to do PowerPoint or something, but I don't care because I'm not here to impress anybody. I'm here to help you see what the text says. And so here's what I want you to notice when you're looking at the screen. No is repeated in this, in this passage. So like when we're reading for our quiet time and we see don't you know, we know, we know, we believe, that should be a clue to us that, wait a second, he's really wanting us to grasp some knowledge here. This knowledge then is gonna have a major point in affecting my life. So right here in the text, I've tried to highlight for you what's in the outline. 
So do you not know? We know, we believe, we know. So what do we know? Well, remember those two points. We're united with Christ and that we're dead to sin. Look at how many times that's repeated in the blue. Dead to sin, old self was crucified, no longer slaves to sin. Death no longer has dominion over him. He died to sin and it, it keeps going. I'm gonna keep the coloring going in the future as well on, this, on the next few slides, but look at the green, the united with Christ. We're baptized into Christ, we're with him, we're united with him, we're united with him, we're with him, we're with him. Here's the main point that he's driving to us all, is he's saying you're no longer slaves to sin because you've been united with Christ and because you have died to sin and because of those things, then we're gonna get to the main point later, but we're no longer slaves to sin. So let's look at what the passage says. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay, put a comma right there. You've got your Bibles out. You've got your, your, your journals out. You've got all this. Look back up to 520. It's just above. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So what Paul's thinking here, I think, is that he's just said, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So now what's the logical objection to this? Well, if grace abounds when I sin, then why don't I just keep sinning so that grace will continue to abound? And so he's saying, wait a second, time out. That's not a proper understanding of grace or of how we live the Christian life. And so what shall we say then? Are we to continue sinning that grace may abound? By no means. He's gonna do this again in verse 15 with a different objection and have the same answer. By no means. He's repeating it here for us. Let's get this through our head. We are not to be okay with sin. We are to be putting our sin to death. We are to be wrestling against it. You will not win. But you are to constantly wrestle against all temptation in your life. That is the sanctification process of the Christian life. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? If you died to something, how can you still live in it? You can't. Do you not know, so he's trying to get the knowledge in our head, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. All right, so let's, let's just take a moment right there. So if we've been baptized into Christ Jesus, baptism in the New Testament, baptizo, it's just been transliterated, it's just been pulled over because that's the way it was mandated with King James and the King James Version and all of these type things. The word means immerse in the New Testament. You're at a Baptist school. We believe it's immersion and it's of believers. And what Paul is doing here is he's using the word baptize, not because it saves us, not because it gives us anything special other than it is the public profession of the inward decision. And so that when we are baptized, you think about it, you go down in immersion, you are buried in the waters of baptism, and then you are raised to newness of life. And as you are raised to newness of life, that's gonna come up later. Those are the words a lot of people say when you're buried. It's upon your profession of faith in Christ. So that baptism is that first act of obedience you do after being saved. In the New Testament, you could not think of a Christian who hadn't been baptized. You were professing your faith and then you were being baptized. Think back to, to Acts chapter eight. What prevents me from being baptized? Nothing. And so they go to the river and they baptize them. And so here it's baptism. Do you not know that in this point you've been baptized into Christ? You were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So here's the symbol. 
We are standing in the baptismal pool and we are saying to others, I believe in Jesus. I have repented of my sins. I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. And as a symbol of that inward act, I now profess my faith before you and I'm gonna be buried to the old self, buried to my identity in Adam. I'm gonna be buried to my sinful nature. I'm gonna bury all of this stuff and I'm gonna walk up and come up in a new life and I'm gonna say my desire at that point is to be in Christ My desire is to live for Christ. My desire is to change my actions and pursue him to present my body to Christ and not to the sinful passions. And that's what's happening in baptism, which means baptism is incredibly important. But that baptism is just a symbol of what has already happened inside of our hearts when the Holy Spirit regenerates us and the Spirit comes to live within us and that we are justified and sanctified and all of those type things. You get it? You get what he's doing here, right? You with me? So then he goes on, verse six. We know that our old self, that identity in Adam, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now, don't misunderstand this body of sin. He's not saying that our flesh is evil and that we're to have some kind of dualistic tendency where we we beat the flesh. The body of sin that he's talking about is that sinful nature, that identity in Adam, those old ways that we have that even after we're saved, the residue of that stays around. It doesn't go away from us. What, What we died to is being dominated by sin being in dominion of sin, being slaves to sin. We didn't die to the presence of sin. You all know this, and I hope this encourages you a little bit. You are not alone in your fight against sin. Every last one of us in this room has struggles with sin. Every last one of us has issues that we need to lean into the word, lean into the power of the spirit, lean into a Christian community, lock arms together, and we don't need to be judgmental when somebody else does something wrong because we gotta get the plank out of our own eye recognizing we have our own struggles. We should encourage. This should be the most encouraging place for you to deal with your sin, wrestle with it, express it to others. And we should be encouraging to other people to say, come on, we can do this together. A long walk in the same direction, stumbling forward, climbing uphill every single day. We fall forward. We keep going so that when we look back over the course of our life, there is forward progress and sanctification to being more like Christ. That's the community we need, not a community where you're whitewashed tombs and you want everybody on the outside to think you're all perfect because you've got everything together because none of you, me included, none of you have everything together. That's not what the text tells us. So here we keep going. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, notice the language here. If you are no longer enslaved to sin, that means you once were. So what he's telling you is that those who are unbelievers are slaves to sin. No unbeliever wants to acknowledge that they're slaves to sin. But we get it. When you were an unbeliever, you had no chance to resist your sin with any consistency because you loved your sin and you pursued your sin and you offered your bodies to your sin more than you did to Christ. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So we've died to that sin, we're set free. Now, if we have died with Christ, if we are united with Christ, then we believe that we will also live with him. Again, we believe and we know, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. 
Death no longer has dominion over Christ. We've been united with Christ, so death doesn't have dominion over us either. We may die, but we're coming up again. We're coming up to a new creation. We're not gonna be dominated by death or sin. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. This is also important. Christ died once for all. That means he's not continuously dying. This is a once for all sacrifice. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, here comes your command. And this command, we move to the next slide. Uh, we move to the, to the dead to sin portion of what we're doing. Um, this is a present active command that we're supposed to do on a regular continual basis. Some of the commentaries, I don't know, I didn't go through the Greek in the entire Romans to double check them, but some of the commentaries said this is the first command in all of Romans. So verse 11 if you highlight your Bibles, you underline, you star, that should be starred. If, if you wait till you get to chapter six, verse 11, to give us a command, it's a pretty big deal. Either way, after all the indicatives of here we are, you died to sin, you're united with Christ, so here's your command. This is a big deal. So highlight it, star it, underline it. What are we to do? So you must, it's not optional, consider. Now that word consider I don't know that that's the best translation here. If you're reading some other versions, some of the other ones would say reckon. Now that reckon doesn't mean like me being from South Carolina where I reckon I'm about to go get food or fixing or some word that means everything. I don't, I don't reckon I need a new truck. It's, it's reckon meaning to add to your account. It's an accounting term that has already existed, which says that Christ's righteousness has been put to our account. So now what he's saying to us is that we have to add to our account, we have to consider, we have to put forward on that account that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Dead to sin and unified with Christ. These are the two things. So, so here's what he's after, people. If we recognize I'm dead to sin, then I don't need to be sinning. If I recognize that I am with Christ, then I need to be pursuing Christ. So what do we remind ourselves of every time that temptation wells up within us and we feel it starting? I'm dead to that. I don't have to give in to that temptation that appeals to me because I'm dead to sin and I'm united with Christ. I've got Christ's power. I've got the Holy Spirit living within me. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within me. I'm just not tapping into it. At that point, I'm presenting my body to the selfish tendencies, not to Christ. I'm not leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not recognizing I'm dead to this stuff. It no longer has dominion over me. So here's the good news for you. If you are trapped in your sin, it no longer has dominion over you. The battle's not gonna be easy. The climb is not an easy climb. It is an active climb, and it is an everyday climb. But you can conquer your sin. You'll never be perfect. But there's good news for us all here. We see it, verse 11. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He continues with the commands. Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now here's, if sin reigns in your body, look at what he's saying. If you're presenting yourselves to sin, then sin reigns in your body to make you obey its passions. Passions, an urge that is over the top of you with such a weight that you cannot resist it. What are your passions? If you have sinful passions, that's something that you need to move away from. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin. So if sin reigns, we pursue its passions. We are instruments for unrighteousness and we are under its control. 
But instead, in verse 13, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, here I wanna highlight this present. So I've, got a, I've introduced a new color for you. The new color was supposed to be orange, but I don't know what that color is on the screen. It just, it's whatever. It just looked right. Present your members to sin. Present yourself to God. We are not to present ourselves to sin. We are to present ourselves to God. This is gonna come up again in the next portion. I'm gonna draw a conclusion to it when we wrap up at the end. So now we move to our second section in our outline. Freedom in service to God, 15 through 23. Look at what it says. What then? You get another what then. You get another question. You get another never so, by no means, God forbid. You get the same repetition here. So one question's been answered. Do we sin so that grace can abound? No, 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 no. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? If I'm not under the law and I don't have all these rules that I have to obey, but I'm under grace, can I just keep sinning? Well, no. The love God and do what you please is predicated on the fact that you love God, that you are pursuing God, that you are presenting yourselves to God, that you are offering yourselves to God. And as you do those things, the more you know about God's love for you and the more you know about God, the more the things that bring joy and pleasure to your life are also the things aligned with what brings joy and pleasure to God's life. And so he says, no, no. If you think that being saved means you get to do any sin that you wanna do, you're just forgiven for it, you haven't understood salvation or the grace of God. You haven't changed your loyalties from being under Adam to being in Christ. Do you not know, again, he continues this, he's teaching us here, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as an obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So here's using the slave language. We don't like the slave language, but we recognize that in, Roman, in the Roman times, slavery was different than what it was in early America. And so I've used the word service here. You present yourself in service. And what he's saying is if you present your body in service to sin, you are a slave of sin. The more you present yourself to sinful tendencies, the more you are in slavery to those tendencies. It's okay, I'm not looking at anything too bad until you are. And a downward spiral occurs. It, it's just a little white lie. It's not a big deal until it is. And one lie creates another lie. And what a tangled web we weave when at first we do deceive. That sinful tendency, there's nothing wrong with alcohol in moderation. It's true. Unless you're predisposed to be an alcoholic after that drink and next thing you know is controlling your life and you're giving your life to it and down the spiral you go. This is what he's saying. If you're gonna present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So then the logical thing he's gonna command us here then is, is present yourself to righteousness. Verse 17, but thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin, we don't like that again, but notice he's repeated it. So this means when we're not saved, as unbelievers, we are slaves to sin. We can do nothing about it. We have no power to overcome sin and the devil and this world. We are slaves to sin. 
It's only by the good news, by the grace of the gospel that we can overcome this. You were once slaves of sin, having become obedient from the heart now to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been free from sin. There's your good news. Friends, we have the ability to be free from sin. It's a constant struggle, but we have it. We have become slaves of righteousness. Now you say, wait a second, I'm not a slave of anything. Present yourself, offer yourself, or perhaps you wanna say worship. I've listed it as pursue. Whatever, we are creatures that are gonna worship something. The question is, what are you gonna worship? Are you gonna worship yourself? Are you gonna worship things that are evil? Are you gonna worship God? How do we know what we're worshiping? It's what we're pursuing. How do we know what we're pursuing? It's what we're offering our bodies to, our time to, our commitments to. It's what we're going after the most. And if you're going after something more than you're going after God, that's an idol in your life. And that idol in your life, the Lord's gonna kick out of the way so that he can get you back to where you need to be of pursuing him and pursuing righteousness. Become slaves of righteousness. So get comfortable with the fact that you are going to worship something and make sure you're worshiping the right things. Because you were created to worship. You have no other choice. You are gonna worship something. I'm speaking in human terms, so Paul says, because he's using slavery and all he's saying, I'm speaking, I'm giving you an illustration you'll understand. Because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members, note that, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, there's your downward spiral, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. There's your upward spiral. So it's a climb up the mountain. But if I get up every morning and no Bible, no breakfast, and I'm in the word and I trust God and I lock arms with authentic Christian community pursuing Christ and I'm involved in a community of believers in a local church and I'm doing everything I can, I'm doing, I'm doing all the spiritual disciplines, the, 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 the habits of grace, I'm making sure that I'm, I'm fasting, I'm memorizing scripture, I'm meditating on scripture, I'm doing all the things I need to do, not because those things not a legalistic sense of weight on you, but because those things help me to present my body to Christ, to righteousness. As I pursue those things, I learn more. And next thing you know, I'm climbing the mountain. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm making progress towards sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. Now here he shifts a little bit and he's gonna talk about the fruit, but what's the reward? But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What's the fruit of sin? Shame and death. That's it. But there's a little passion in there and it appeals to me and I really want it. Shame comes after that. And ultimately death is where it leads to. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Okay, so we mentioned this word sanctification in here twice. We have not yet defined this term sanctification. So I have a definition for you of sanctification. Here's what sanctification means. A progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. This is what we mean when we talk about sanctification. A progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. All right, I've got some other things I wanna to do today too. So I'm gonna to move to application quickly. Here's your application points. 
First, I want you to notice the importance given to baptism. Baptism here is associated with your salvation because it is the public declaration of that inward decision. So I think a proper and fitting application for us is we don't minimize baptism. We understand it's important. Baptism is one of the two ordinances of the church along with the Lord's Supper because those two ordinances display the gospel. In baptism, we're saying I'm identified with Christ just like in Corinthians, Paul talks about the children of Israel were identified with Moses when they were baptized into the Red Sea. They were saying Moses is our leader. That baptism is our way of publicly identifying and saying I'm in Christ. I'm identifying with Christ. Christ is my team. That's who I choose. That's what I'm gonna do. And you're buried with him in the waters of baptism, raised to walk in a new and different life, different from that old man. And so that's what baptism is. If you haven't been baptized, your application from this message today may very well be pursue baptism from your local church. Now, if this were summer, you may say, let's go out here in Cedar Lake and get it done. Well, the ordinances are given to the local church and the local church is where you need to profess that faith. And so that's the first application I have for you is pursue baptism if you haven't been baptized. The second, we're no longer slaves to sin. So claim this truth daily. You're gonna mess up, you're gonna sin, you're not gonna reach Christian perfectionism. All of us in the room have the same struggle. It will happen. I'm not trying to put a weight on you that you can't bear to say that you need to be perfect. What I am saying to you is every morning when you wake up, you should be thanking God and you should be asking God, God, help me this day to live in a way that honors you and glorifies you. Lord, I wanna do this in a way that, that just, I pursue you. I wanna present my body to you. I wanna present my members to you. And so I recognize that I am dead to sin and I'm united with you. Help me to live as who I really am today and not to present my members to sinful passions and lust. That's the everyday battle that we get our minds right. And when we think about this word present, this word offer, this word worship, immediately I go to Romans 12.1, we quote it all the time, but 12.1 leans back up on six. Where do you present your members, to sin or to God? So Romans 12, one tells us, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies. Oh, wait a second. I've heard that phrase before about five times today. I'm supposed to present my body to Christ as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is my spiritual worship. And when I do that, then I am not conformed to this world, but I am transformed by the renewing of my mind that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is. Friends, God is faithful, we can trust him. Pursue God, worship God, serve God, present your members to God. Whatever we pursue the most, that's what we serve. So spiritual check, what is it that I pursue the most? Well, if me pursuing God falls really low on that list, I've got a problem because I have my spiritual priorities in the wrong order. Perhaps I'm struggling because I have things out of whack. And what I need to do is make sure that I am pursuing God, pursuing Christ every morning, no Bible, no breakfast, doing all the things I need to do to present myself to God, prayer without ceasing. And then Romans 6, 23, which you'll notice I didn't include in this. It's a verse that we use often when we share the gospel. In fact, there is a method of sharing the gospel, which is called the bridge method. And so that bridge method is something I wanna, I wanna walk through with you just very briefly. So first, um, go to the next slide. Here first, um, actually there should be a slide before that that shows resources. There you go, that's what I want. Um, you probably don't know this exists, 
but this has always been on our website. But if you type in cedarville.edu backslash gospel, it's gonna take you to a page that has all of these images and resources. If you take your phone and you go to either one of these QR codes, it'll take you to what I'm about to show you. And so just remember cedarville.edu gospel. And this is the bridge track. So you go to, this, to the track, and on this track, it shows Romans 3.23. It shows, shows us separated from God. And so that image is that we are on one side a sinful man, holy God is on the other side. And so then you have to ask yourself the question, uh, what separates us? Well, it is our sin that separates us. And then how can I get across to God then? There's a question. I don't know how I'm gonna get across to God because I can't be perfect and holy and I've already sinned, so I'm already separated. And so then I'm in my sinfulness and in my sinful ways, I have no hope. I am helpless because these wages of sin is death. I have no real life. I'm in slavery to sin. But wait a second. If I'm gonna accept the gospel and accept what Christ has done, that free gift of God that's eternal life, then I'm gonna find out I have hope in Christ, that I have the spirit living within me, that I have help with the spirit and that I have life and I have eternal life and I have it more abundantly. And so this is Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're wondering, how can I share the gospel simply, quickly, and easily, here's your image. So you can take a picture of it or you can go to that website and you can download a picture of it or you can download all of those slides. And if you're wondering, I wish I knew more about how to share my faith. It just so happens I have 100 books up here um, entitled Everyday Evangelism. You're welcome to come grab one of these if you're gonna read it, if you're gonna use it. Now, if you know I'm gonna grab one of these because I wanna look like I am into evangelism, yeah, don't, don't take a book and let it sit on your shelf. I didn't want them sitting in my office, so I want you to use it. Just, just promise me you'll look through it. You'll read through this because if all of us become active in everyday evangelism, wherever the Lord takes us and whatever he does. What do we have in here today? 3,000 people, 2,500? Think about what that would do for the kingdom of God. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. These books are available to you free if you want one of those books. What's your main idea? What's your good news for the day? We are no longer slaves to sin. I'm not giving you a hoorah story. I'm not giving you a pelt rally and I'm not telling you it's easy. But I'm telling you, this is the truth. You're no longer a slave to sin. So every morning, claim the promise. Every morning, you remind yourselves of the indicatives. This is my situation so that I can live out the imperatives, presenting my body only to Christ, counting myself as dead to sin and united with him. That's what I'm gonna do. Every day for the rest of your life, it's the first thing you do in the morning. And next thing you know, you're gonna be in that long, slow, long walk in the same direction, failing forward every time, and you're gonna look back down that mountain and you're gonna see that sanctification has occurred because you're now more like Christ than you were five, 10, 20 years ago. That's your mission, that's your purpose. And I want you to know that you are loved. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I am thankful that you have passages in scripture like this because Paul wouldn't have written this chapter if we didn't all struggle with sin. We're gonna see that even more in chapter seven. So Lord, I thank you for the grace that you've given us to let us know we're not alone. We're not alone in our struggle with temptation. I thank you for the truth that you've given us 
that even though we still struggle with that flesh, we still struggle with temptation, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are dead to sin and we are united with Christ and we can't have victory through the power of the Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you offer us grace when we fail. And I pray that you would help us to remember the truths so that we can count ourselves dead to sin, united with Christ, present our bodies to you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to live lives that would honor you and glorify you for your glory and for our great joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you are dismissed.